share with you a story I wish I could not share. <clears throat> and it's not going to be that removed from the majority of your life experiences because this was last week. Uh, this was actually last Sunday. Um, one week ago, maybe, what is it? It's 11, it's 11.09. If I look at my clock this morning, it was maybe 8.30 in the morning um, when I happened to, to see what I'm about to tell you about. You know, the night before I went to bed on Easter, I didn't say anything to, to Emily about this. Um, but I had this feeling of foreboding because I cannot think of an Easter the last five or six years that I have not woken up on Easter morning and the first piece of news I see is that a church somewhere has been bombed or set on fire or been shot somewhere in the world. And I didn't want to be a cynic But as I laid my head on my pillow that night and I went to bed, I thought, I don't want to check the news in the morning because I don't want to see where it happened. Maybe it won't happen. I hope to God it won't. Maybe it won't happen. But I went to bed fully expecting to see it. So I woke up and I got going. And right before I started getting ready, I decided to bite the bullet and open the news app on my phone. And what do I see but eight bombings in Sri Lanka. The death toll is now over 250 of Christians that were killed because they had the gall to go to church on Easter. And I was sad. I was broken hearted. But do you know what else I was? I was furious. I was angry. Somebody ever hurt you? Hurt someone you loved? And you were broken hearted for the loss or for whatever had been done. But you're also angry. Not just at the situation, but actually at the person who did it. Don't lie. This is the... Well, pastor, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to... To, to, to be angry. Who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you that you're not supposed to be angry at evil? Who told you that injustice should not touch a nerve? C.S. Lewis drew a distinction one time between goodness and what he called kindness or love and kindness. 
that folks are quick to jump and embrace kindness because kindness always has this warm, fuzzy feeling about it. But love doesn't always feel warm and fuzzy, does it? Sometimes love is tough. And God is not the God of kindness. He's the God of love. And when you love someone, how does that make you feel when someone hurts them? How does that make you feel when someone hits them, shoots them, bombs them? How does that make you feel? It got heavy real quick in here, didn't it? (laughs) Welcome to the book of Revelation. It stays there. I want to help us deal with the topic this morning, or rather I think Scripture is going to help us deal with the topic this morning that we don't talk about in church enough, and that is anger towards evil. That it can, it can do something to you and break you when something horrible happens, when someone does something horrible to you or to someone you love and the response sometimes from the church can be, well, calm down, calm down, calm down. We don't need to, you know, anger is not appropriate here. Anger is appropriate sometimes. The question is, what do we do with it? There are appropriate times to have anger. There's appropriate times to cry out for justice. There's an appropriate person to whom we cry out for justice and we wait for His response rather than take it on ourselves. So we're going to see that in Revelation this morning. So if you will stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6 and we're going to read verses 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, now this is Jesus. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Father, I pray that you would help us be a church to understand that there's sometimes that anger is appropriate, that anger toward evil is appropriate, but we are not you. And that the appropriate Christian response to real evil and real wickedness that is perpetrated against us is not to seek vengeance on our own, but to entrust it to you, the all-patient, righteous, holy, true, merciful, just God. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to compare our emotions to Scripture today and see if we are found lacking. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. So justice. Justice is a buzzword in 2019, isn't it? That lots of people like to throw around the word justice. That I've heard the word economic justice. I've heard the word social justice. I've heard just the word 
just you know you know some judges are called justices of the peace you know you've got supreme court justices you know federal judges who are justices you know you know what justice is a big fancy word but we don't spend a lot of time defining what justice is or biblically where justice fits into the whole picture here uh, well revelation 6 9 through 11 is all about justice and that our God is a God of justice. What does it mean that our God is a God of justice? Well, in short, that means that God is ultimately, absolutely righteous and fair in the way that He deals with all people. Regardless of race, regardless of nationality, regardless of education, regardless of finances, regardless of station in life, that God is completely and totally fair in all of His judgments. He is a God of justice. And in this passage, we see almost kind of a break. Because where we are in the book of Revelation is Jesus has claimed the redemptive title deed to earth and the human race. And He is in the process of opening it and claiming what He has the right to possess. And the first four seals He, he opens, there are seven, the first four that He opens visit judgments on the earth. Yeah, the first one would be the arrival of Antichrist. Yeah, the one that uh, deceives the majority of humanity into believing in his bloodless victory and, and world rulership, but who following him leads to unprecedented conflict, famine, and death. Those are the first four seals on this scroll that's been opened. But the fifth seal doesn't actually do anything on earth. The fifth seal actually gives us a picture of an event that can only be seen in heaven. And it's a, it's a fascinating event. And I want us to look at that and see three things that we can learn about God's justice. And first, I want us to see that God's justice is patient. Look at verses 9 and the first half of verse 10. Uh, when he opened, again, that's Jesus, the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So let's break this down a little bit. What does it mean that they're under the altar? Does that mean that there's a piece of furniture in heaven and that they're literally under it? No. The idea is that they are in close proximity to God. That they're close to Him. They're not, this is not, they're not shouting from the peanut gallery. Okay? They're, they're not up there. They're close to God. They're in close proximity. They have a privileged place near Him. <clears throat> and how did they get there? Not, you know, did they earn their spot there by some specific action they took, but what was the chain of events that led them to being in this position of not so much protest, but request at the base of the altar? They had been slain for the Word of God and for the testimony which they held. These are tribulation, that's the term that we'll use for the period of judgments throughout the book of Revelation. These are tribulation Christians that have been killed during the previous four seals. So they have been killed under the world rulership of Antichrist, either by conflict or by famine or by disease. But they have been killed specifically because 
They hold to the Word of God and their testimony of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. These people were killed because they are professing Christians. That's how they got there. So, uh, I thought this was, this was a, a neat way to look at it. There's no way all the martyrs of all time could be thus pictured, since those who martyred them would have long since come into judgment in all but the most recent cases. Furthermore, in this case, their enemies are specifically said to be still alive on the earth. Specifically, these must be determined as those who have experienced the wrath of the unbelieving earth against believers singled out for that martyrdom during the days of the tribulation. That's from the New American Commentary. So these are people who have died in, in the very recent revelatory time period. They've died during the first four seals. <clears throat> and they cry out to God with a loud voice. Now, they have been to use a word that we're going to deal with all, all morning, they've been unjustly killed. Y'all, one of our core values as Americans is freedom of religion, right? Do you know how that made it into the Bill of Rights? That you can't be persecuted? There were a bunch of Baptists lobbying. <laughs> well, go, go read your Baptist history. A lot of the, the freedom of religion in the United States has to do with our Baptist forebears lobbying our founding fathers on the basis of a Baptist distinctive called freedom of conscience. What is freedom of conscience? If you're a Baptist, you believe in this, even if you don't, you've never heard those words. What freedom of conscience means is we believe that every single man, woman, boy, and girl one day is going to have to answer to God for what we believed or didn't believe in our life. Is that not correct? Right? That's true. That one day you're going to have to stand in front of God and you're going to have to answer for either believing Him or not believing Him. So, if I personally am going to have to answer for whether or not I believed Him or did not believe Him, then it's not fair for someone else to force me in this life to do what they want when I'm going to have to answer for it in front of God. Right? It's only fair that if I'm going to have to answer for it in front of God, I should have the decision. Freedom of conscience. That even though I totally and completely disagree with Muslim theology, Buddhist theology, uh, Hindu theology. I don't agree with any of it. But you know what? If there was a mosque down the road and they wanted to build a Muslim cemetery and Jefferson County tried to tell them, not that I think they would, Jefferson County tried to tell them we're not going to have a Muslim cemetery in our county, do you know who would be arguing for them to have the right to do it? I would. Because you know what? Eventually, if you can tell them they can't build their structures, all it takes is a change of opinion, and we're told we can't build ours. That we believe in the freedom to worship the way you see fit, because eventually we're going to have to answer to God for it. Well, one day that opinion is going to change. And y'all, turn on your televisions. It's already started. Ask some Christians in the Midwest who've been put out of business because they won't make flowers or cakes for certain things. 
who have hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines levied against them and have had to close the door of the business they've run their entire adult lives because they've been told you refuse to participate. Ask the Sri Lankans who died last week when they had the gall to go worship at Easter and 250 of them got blown up. I mean, the, the opinion's already changing. And one day, one day, the Bible says there's going to come a day where there's a large crowd of martyrs at the foot of the altar saying, God, how long? Do you see what happened to us? Now, how many of y'all, y'all in here, I, I see some kids in here, y'all parents, y'all ever had to go on a long trip? And you got your kids in the back seat. They, they all have a question. What's the question? All on three. One, two, three. How long are we there yet? Oh my goodness. My mama finally got me when I was little. I said, Mama, are we there yet? She was silent. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And she finally looked back at me. We're very obviously not. We're on the interstate. She looks at me and says, Yep. And I said, no, we're not. And she said, then why did you ask me? (laughs) If you know, then why did you ask me that? Yes, yes, I agree. Um, Patience is not our strong suit, is it? See, we laugh about it. The kids do that. But the reality is, is, as adults, we ask, are we there yet all the time? We just don't ask our parents. We ask God. Are we there yet? God, are we there yet? Can I have this yet? Can you do this yet? Are you going to do this yet? Are you going to fix this yet? Are you going to make this better yet? Are you going to take them away yet? Are you (laughs) what are are you going to yet? We're impatient. And y'all, these saints can be forgiven, but they're saying, God, how much longer are we going to have to wait now? How much longer are we going to have to wait? Wait for what? We'll see that in a minute. But they, they cry out with a loud voice and they say, How long, Lord, are we there yet? The martyred saints understood that a just God was going to act against injustice. They just didn't get why it hadn't taken place yet. They knew God's character, but they didn't understand His timetable. Y'all, God's character is totally good, which means two things. He has the greatest possible hatred for evil. Never miss that. That our God is totally good, which means He totally, completely, ultimately, purely hates evil. He has no love for it whatsoever. But he also has the greatest possible patience toward his people who are made in his image, who are engaged in that evil because he wants to be merciful to them. Y'all, my patience runs out long before it should. Anybody else in here suffer from that or is it just me? You don't have to raise your hands, but if you want to, see. I mean, see, some of y'all out there were patient and you knew that I would move past that and you wouldn't have to raise your hand. But, but some of y'all who were impatient were like, me, I'm impatient. Uh, <clears throat> aren't y'all glad that God's more patient than we are? Yeah. 
God is, you can't say infinitely patient, but you can say perfectly patient. Because if God's infinitely patient, that's not patience. That's just giving it a pass. But God is perfectly patient. He is patient with His creation for as long as it is reasonable. That He hates the wicked that we're involved in, but y'all, He wants us to repent. And He is willing to wait until the absolute moment of no return for us to give us a chance to repent. Humanity has always mistaken God's patience for unwillingness to deal with sin. And that leads to confusion about His character. You ever heard somebody say, how can such a good God allow such horrible evil to happen with impunity? Anybody ever ask that question? Y'all never mistake God's patience for unwillingness to deal with evil. Because remember... The same God who we get frustrated with because He hasn't dealt with a problem we see yet. Someone else was probably frustrated with Him at one point because He had not dealt with us yet. He's patient with us too. Not just with people that we wish He would you know, tee up that lightning bolt and go. He's patient with all of us. Romans chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering? Some of your Bibles might say patience, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Why hadn't God dealt with so-and-so yet? Because He loves them too and He's given them an opportunity to repent. Why hasn't God punished them? Because He's giving them an opportunity to repent. In 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness. God is not lazy. God is not unwilling. God is not unaware. God is not forgetful. But is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That person who hurt you, that person who did you wrong, that person who lied about you, cheated on you, hurt you. I know you might not see it, but that man, woman, boy, or girl is also a person made in the image of God. And God loves them and values them as much as He does you. Now, God did not want you to suffer and die and go to hell, so He was patient with you. So remember... When you are looking at that situation where someone has hurt you or wronged you, and you're saying, how long, God? When are you going to deal with this? Remember that He has the same patience and care toward them as that, that He had toward you. And well, that doesn't help me, Pastor. It still hurts. I know. But I do want to reassure you, with the rest of this sermon, God knows that it hurt you. God knows that it was wrong. God is patient. God's justice is patient. But second, I want you to see that God's justice is also reciprocal. Look at the second half of verse 10. So they cry out in the first half and say, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long until what? 
What is their prayer? How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? I had a chuckle to myself when I realized I would be preaching this sermon the same weekend as a movie was released that is entitled Avengers. I laughed. (laughs) Um, How long, they say, until you judge and avenge our blood? These saints in glory just prayed for God to avenge their blood. What does that mean? They did not say, God, how long until you slap the wrists of those people that that killed us? Do you know what avenging is? You can go back and look at the Old Testament. Avenging someone who was killed is killing the one who killed them. Now, we've always said when we get to heaven, we'll see things more clearly than we see them now, right? Isn't it interesting that that's exactly where these people are when they're praying to God for this? That leads me to believe that maybe we envision heaven as a place where we, we, where we won't be angry. Heaven might just be a place where we're angry at the things we're supposed to be angry at. Heaven will be a place where we're not angry at the things we shouldn't be anymore, but we will be angry at the things we should be. Why? Because we will be like God and we will understand righteousness and sin better than we do now. Jesus said when we see Him, we shall be made like Him. Y'all, did Jesus ever give sin a pass? No. He did not. So, Josh, this is making me uncomfortable. I don't want to be an angry, mean Christian. I'm not calling you to be an angry, mean Christian. I'm calling you to see sin the way God sees it. They say, how long, O God? Because look, how long, O Lord, what? What does your Bible say? How long, O Lord, what's next? Holy and true in mine. They go to God and ask Him for vengeance because He is holy and true. They're not asking for something evil. They're asking for something good. They ask God for vengeance. It's based on Him being holy and true. Vengeance is not evil if vengeance is what is called for. That being said, how many of you have all the variables and all of the knowledge and all of the authority and all of the moral uprightness to think that you are qualified to be a judge over what somebody does and does not deserve? Does anybody in here feel like that you have the the moral authority to judge what somebody does and does not deserve on a cosmic level? Do you feel like you have appropriate information? I'm a silly pastor because the one verse that I should have printed on your handout is the verse that says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. But I'm, I'm silly, I didn't do that. But it's in there, I'll find it for you later if you want to see the reference. God is the one that these saints go to because He is holy and true. Church, look at your pastor. Never seek to carry out vengeance on someone else. Ancient Chinese proverb, you seek to, if you seek to, 
If you seek vengeance at the beginning of the journey, be sure to dig two graves. Because you might get the person you're looking for, but you'll lose yourself in the process. We should never seek vengeance. It is not up to us to seek vengeance. I'm not qualified to be the judge of another man, of another woman, whether or not they've wronged me. I am susceptible to inappropriate anger. I'm susceptible to inappropriate frustration and rage. I'm susceptible for feeling wronged when maybe I was actually the one who deserved vengeance against me. I make all kinds of mistakes. You know who doesn't? God doesn't. Which is exactly why the saints said, How long, O Lord? They went to Him. Have you ever heard this law of physics? Every action has an equal but opposite reaction. Have you ever heard that before? Why do you think physics works that way? Because it's part of God's character and it's just baked into the fabric of the universe. If you go back and look at the law, this is not on your handout, but you can write down these passages if you want to. Exodus 21, 23-24, there's a specific incidence in which God is describing how someone is to be punished when they've done something to someone. And in that specific incidence, the law says, If any harm follows, you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. That's Exodus 21, 23, and 24. If you broke their leg, the penalty was to have your leg broken. The idea being, that's a fair recompense for what you just did. How about Genesis 9, 6? Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. There's a fancy 50 cent word for that law in the Old Testament. It's called lex talionis. It basically means tit for tat. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Yeah. You get what you gave. But that's the way God carries out justice. God is a just, fair God, which means He never pours out more than what anybody deserves. He never pours out less than what anybody deserves when He is seated in judgment. So there are a few applications we can make from this. Negatively, this means that when God's patience runs out, everyone can expect equal but opposite judgment to every single wrong they have ever committed. So just in your flesh, in your natural flesh, I'm not counting yet anything that Christ has done for you. In your natural flesh, if you stood before God, you could expect His judgment to be equal but opposite for every evil thing you've ever done. That adds up quick, doesn't it? Say, well, God, is there any way? Can I, can I make a plea deal? No. I give perfect justice. You get what you gave. Wholly appropriate. Now on the positive side, now you understand why Jesus had to be crucified to save us, don't you? Why is it? Uh, couldn't God have just said, I'm a merciful God, I'll just forgive you? No. Because justice demands that every sin have an equal but opposite response. Sin.
Sin had to be dealt with in punishment. And every sin ultimately boils down to misrepresenting God because we're made in His image. Every sin that we ever commit boils down to misrepresenting God, lying about God, blaspheming God, and defacing His image for everyone who sees us. That's an eternal crime, which is why any sin merits an eternal punishment. It's totally fair. But guess what? When Jesus died on the cross for you, Jesus stood in and took all of that wrath and all of that justice that we deserved. Y'all, all our sin, if you know Jesus Christ, all your sin's been dealt with. It's gone. It's done. It's paid for. The justice has been done. There's nothing left for you to, to carry. Why does God not punish Christians? Because He has. In His Son. The punishment's been carried out. For God to punish a Christian now would be to give more than, their, more than is merited. Because if all of our sin was on Jesus, if God poured out any punishment on us, then what is God punishing? There's nothing left to punish because it was all on Jesus. So God's justice is reciprocal. You get what you give. If you are a Christian, there's nothing left on you for God to punish because He punished it all on Jesus. But if you're not a Christian, Romans 2, 5, and 6, in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. That there are books in heaven that we will see in Revelation that brace yourselves every single thought, word, and deed of our entire lives is recorded in. Anybody want to read that book? I don't. But praise God, the one who owns the book died to save me from its penalty. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're just storing up wrath for that day. Then Hebrews 2, 2 through 4, If the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and obedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Y'all, if God keeps reciprocal justice and every sin we commit gets an equal but opposite judgment, what kind of reaction do you think God will have for someone who He sent His Son to die for, to suffer on a Roman cross for to experience all of His wrath for all humanity poured out on Him, how do you think God will respond to someone who looks at His Son suffering that way for them and says, no, that's not good enough for me? What would be the equal but opposite reaction to that? I don't think we could fathom it. And that's why the author of Hebrews says... How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If we reject that goodness of God, that mercy of God, that grace of God, that's a sin in and of itself. And y'all, frankly, I can't think of a sin that's greater in the entire cosmos than looking God in the eye and saying, your best is not good enough for me.
I, I can't think of anything. God's justice is reciprocal. So that should push you to the cross. That should pull you to Calvary as hard as anything else in this world can. And I beg you that it will. Because God has already dealt that reciprocal justice on His Son. He's already forgiven you if you'll come to Jesus. That there will be no punishment left for you. But if you decide not to go to Jesus, then what awaits you is not the cross, it is the books. So God's justice is patient. He gives you an opportunity to come to the cross. God's justice is reciprocal. If you come to the cross, you will find that all of His justice has been poured out on Jesus. If you refuse the cross, you will find out that there is an equal but opposite judgment awaiting you. God's justice is patient. God's justice is reciprocal. And finally, God's justice is inevitable. There's no way to escape it. When you look at verse 11... Then a white robe was given to each of them and was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until... And when you hear the word until, what does until mean? Not now, but there is coming a point. Children, I'm being patient with them today. They have an opportunity to find mercy today. They have an opportunity to repent today. Repent today. But there is an until on that. That there is a limit even to the patience of God. He says, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. That God said, I'm going to deal with that. Catch this. God agrees with their request for vengeance. Did you catch that? God does not rebuke them by saying, this is inappropriate. You shouldn't be asking me for this. Sometimes it is an entirely appropriate response in your, in your prayer to pray exactly like this. Father, I pray that you forgive them and show them mercy. But if they refuse it, I pray that your will be done for them. Now what did I just ask God to do? Whatever He wants. I'm not going to do a thing. I'm going to be like David. I will not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. But God judge between you and me which of us is in the right. That God agrees with their request for vengeance. Does this make any of you uncomfortable? This is why I said at the beginning, be very, very careful. Because when we look in the Bible, it's, it's kind of like a mirror on steroids. That it doesn't just show us ourselves, it shows us what's wrong with us sometimes. And sometimes... It makes us uncomfortable because the righteousness and goodness of God are so above and beyond ourselves that, that we think, what in the world? What is this anger? What is this vengeance? What is this, what, hatred of evil? Of course God hates evil. He's good. That's what goodness is. Hating evil. To not abide by it. To not allow it. To not stand for it. 
that God agrees with his, their request for vengeance, but His patience still, thank, thank Him, exceeds theirs. They're given white robes. God recognizes their state of righteousness and the righteousness of their request, but there is yet more time in which those who slayed them may repent. There's still opportunity. There is still opportunity. 2 Peter 3, 5 and 6, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. What is he talking about? He's talking about back in Genesis when Noah was there. Yeah, I've, I've read a song in here before that I think affected some of you. That it, It's titled As in the Days of Noah. And it's a song about how Noah's out in his front yard building the boat. And nobody had ever seen rain. They'd never seen water falling from the sky before. And they're mocking Noah. Why are you building this boat, you old fool? You're in the middle of the land. What is this? God's upset that there's water going to fall from the sky? You're crazy. It's never rained before. It's never rained before. It's never rained before, but then the voice gets very quiet and says, but when the rain starts falling, it's too late. That God shut the door on that boat. Noah didn't shut anybody out of the boat. God shut Noah in. Well, how can God be that cruel? How can God be that vengeful? How can God be that angry? How long do you think it takes one man to build a boat big enough to fit two animals? How long do you think it took? Do you think God might have shown His patience? That maybe one person would have walked up to Noah and said, Noah, you know, you seem pretty determined, friend. You're building a boat in the middle of a field. And you're telling us water is going to fall from the sky. Now, I've never seen that happen before. But can you please explain to me why you're so convinced this is going to happen? I'm willing to sit down and listen. But does Scripture tell us a single person ever did that? No. Does the God that you know in this Bible ever turn away anybody who comes to Him seeking mercy? He doesn't. So with a God that gracious, that merciful, that good, that loving, is it ever fair to look at Him and say, you should have waited a little bit longer? You should have waited a little bit longer? You should have waited a little bit longer? No. Peter says they forget that God has already done this once. He waited and he waited and he waited and he waited and he provided a prophet and he provided a witness and that witness stood out there. Interestingly enough, the, both his son and Noah were both carpenters. How'd that work out? Um, he sent a carpenter both times to build, <laughs> to, to carry up... If folks would have just listened to God's person, they would have been okay. 
But y'all, let me warn you. God is patient. But God is perfectly patient. He is not infinitely patient. Do not think that because you have never seen the judgment of God poured out on the earth, that you will never see the judgment of God poured out on the earth. It's never rained before. It's never rained before. It's never rained before. But when the rain starts falling, it's too late. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Those of you who are here today, listen. I don't want you to say, well, I'm really uncomfortable with this pastor preaching a message about a vengeful, angry God. Are you upset about your pastor preaching a message that says God doesn't like sin because that's basic Christianity? That's not a shock. That's not a surprise. God doesn't like evil. And the fact of the matter is, don't worry so much about God's vengeful anger as you are worried about the mercy that He's having on you right now by putting you in this room to hear the call of the Gospel, to hear the call to Calvary, so that He can forgive you and you can repent and you will have none of His vengeance to worry about. You can be clear of that right now, this second. You don't have to fear God's vengeance. You can just come to Jesus Christ and say, I was wrong, you were right. I'm a sinner, you're good. Forgive me, have mercy on me, and God will not reject you. On the authority of Scripture, God will not reject you. But if you leave and you plug your ears and you say, He's never judged the earth before. He's never judged the earth before. He's never judged the earth before. He's never judged me before. He's not there. I can ignore it. It's gone. Y'all, when the rain starts falling, it's too late. Come to Jesus today. Respond to Jesus today. Ms. Joyce is going to start playing for us right now. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask you a question or two. Nobody's looking around right now, but I do want to ask you this. If you're here today and you've been putting off
aisle and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you. You can fill out the guest card on the side of the bulletin and put that in the offering plate when it comes by, or you can catch me at the back door. Um, but don't leave without responding. Um, the hymn that we're going to be singing is...